Welcome to the One in Five of Us Changing the Mental Health Landscape podcast. We are working to stop the stigma and start the conversation about mental health. One in five people will experience a mental health condition, but it takes on average eight to 10 years for someone to seek treatment. Hi, I'm Nancy Eigelmiller, the founder and executive director of One in Five, and I'm thrilled to host this podcast to help educate our community around mental health and wellness and to empower you to start the conversation. And I'm Kayla Wood, the social media specialist at One in Five. Together, we can stop the stigma and start the conversation. You belong here. We belong together. Today, we're talking with Moses Farrow, a licensed marriage and family therapist and an adoption trauma therapist with over 20 years in the mental health field. He's on a mission to save adoptee lives through sharing his personal experiences as a survivor of abuse, suicide, and suicide loss. He's also an outspoken advocate for mental health, suicide prevention, and adoption reform. Moses, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And we're going to just go ahead and jump right in with our questions. Um, So typically, we like to start by asking Um, If you can share a little bit about your own mental health journey um, and kind of what got you to where you are today. Mm. Well, (laughs) I think that'll take the rest of the show. (laughs) That is a fantastic question to lead off with. (laughs) Um, and, And really, like, this is going, like, in hindsight for me because being adopted... Um, I'm learning more about being adopted now than I was growing up, like going through my childhood. Uh, so it really is like a fantastic question um, <laughs> to ask me at this stage of my life. <laughs> um, well, I'm glad we caught you now then. <laughs> so so it, it, it's uh, so funny how things like come together when they do. Um, and for me, it's recognizing as I'm working with my clients and putting my, uh, my uh, story together that being adopted starts with this traumatic loss. Mm-hmm. It starts with a traumatic relinquishment, um, which can happen in so many different kinds of ways. Uh, it's, it's not just, you know, a loss of a parent. Um, and so for me, I'm now, piecing it out even more. It's not just, oh, I've lost my birth parents or my first parents or my natural parents. Or, um, it's uh, that being transracially and internationally adopted, I've lost my heritage. I've lost connection with my culture, with my native culture, with my native country. Um, and all those memories and all those experiences of growing up in that environment, in that way. Um, And so there are these multiple losses uh, that catch up over time. Um, And so it's like, ah, I understand that this is adoption trauma now. I understand when we talk about, in the adoption world, we talk about coming out of the fog And it's in a way coming to terms with, oh, this is what's really happened to me. Uh, So the way I'm feeling anxious or depressed or uh, dissociating or feeling like um, I'm all alone and kind of, you know, facing this unsafe world. Um, And it could be not just the world, but like unsafe feelings that I'm having with, within myself, um, not feeling safe within my, within my adoptive family, um, which I didn't feel safe in my adoptive family either. Uh, so there's also these layers of um, re-traumatization, you know, these trauma cycles or, you know, trauma being recreated. Um, so it all comes back to that, um, fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. And so when I look back, I'm like, oh my gosh, I did so much of that growing up. Um, And um, it's no longer uh, just like attachment issues. 
It's not just like reactive attachment disorder. Um, and even diagnoses of depression, anxiety, ADHD, bipolar, don't fully capture the breadth and the depth of what it means to be adopted. Um, and in fact, it just like pathologizes it. Uh, so I've now come to understand, oh, I've been traumatized. So my body is naturally protecting itself. It's trying to create that sense of safety. So that's been a huge like revelation, realization is that there's actually not been anything wrong with me. It's that I've been traumatized and then traumatized, um, you know, after, after the actual like adoption event. Uh, and that's, that's really um, how, you know, it's unfolded for me uh, up, up to this point. And, uh, you know, it's like coming out of the fog and recognizing, oh, this is trauma. And, you know, I really struggled in so many different ways growing up, but I also had environmental factors, you know, come into play as well. Uh, so it just, it's really complicated. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and I, what, what you were saying just a moment ago reminded me of something that I read, I believe it was maybe an interview that you did, um, where you were talking about how there's this belief among most people that when, when parents adopt a child, they're saving that child's life. Mm. But in reality, and more often than it should happen, <laughs> um, that they're causing additional trauma beyond what that adoption trauma is in the first place. Um, can you, mm -hmm. if, if you're willing to, can you talk a little bit about that experience? Uh, yes, I, I, I appreciate you um, moving that in that kind of direction. Um, uh, so there's the pre-adoption, you know, side losing so much um, with being adopted. And then uh, on the post-adoption side, and, you know, for me, um, you know, it's, again, looking back, coming into this place of clarity that, oh, there's these other factors and you know, in place or in play, uh, as I was growing up. Um, and so, you know, these days I do talk quite a bit about generational trauma. So now we have multiple traumas. I have multiple traumas. Now I'm experiencing multiple traumas from other people. They've experienced multiple traumas. It's just, we live in a very traumatized world. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that just, I need to say that. So, uh, but mm, mm. Uh, so conversations like this really are important and I'm really, really just appreciating, uh, again, you know, being here and getting to shed light on. Yeah. So when it comes to the post-adoption, uh, life and experiences and recognizing, oh gosh, um, there's more that's happening around me than what's happening within me. Um, and so bring, bring it back to generational trauma. That's, that's really talking about what's happened in my parents' lives. What are they bringing? What kind of baggage are they bringing into the family environment, into their role as parents? Um, and uh, this is, you know, a common and sad truth for so many adopted people uh, is that there are these multiple layers of trauma, you know, so there's the adoption trauma that they experience, um, which is really, you know, also encompassing the adoptive parents trauma and the birth parents traumas. Um, but there's that adoption trauma. And then, the, and then there's this generational trauma where, you know, previous generations, um, you know, <clears throat> don't receive the help or the therapy or the interventions 
or support even. Um, and, you know, so many adopted people are simply just wanting to be seen and heard and have their experiences acknowledged and validated. Um, and it's, it's like, it's really that basic. Uh, but so we're, so let me, so let me bring it, bring it back to like my personal story, you know, now that there's this whole context where um, I have been vocal about being a child abuse survivor. Um, and so, you know, as we know, you know, abuse can happen physically, psychologically, emotionally, mentally, relationally, you know, in multiple kinds of ways. Um, and I just find the parent-child abuse, um, uh, you know, to be one of the most uh, damaging and most hurtful um, because of what we were just talking about before and how children are just so important and so critical uh, to the future of humanity, to the future, you know, of uh, our civilization uh, um, and who we are. So by passing that along to our children uh, and they carry that, I carry this with me throughout my life. And there's a saying that really doesn't jive with me very, very well, but it's, it's like, I'm not my trauma, but I am responsible for my healing. Yeah. What is it up with that? It doesn't seem quite fair. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's not fair. No. no. It's like as it's a child, not. you shouldn't have to have that responsibility. Not. Or even as an adult or the, like carrying that responsibility for something that yeah. is not your fault. Like these are things mm -hmm. that happen to you. You, And mm -hmm. then you have to deal with it. And you can imagine that happening over and over, over time, over years, uh, what that does to a person's development, to a person's sense of self. Um, and so it has, you know, multiple layers of impact uh, that you're absolutely right. Like as an adult, how do you even begin to peel away those layers and start doing that healing. So work. what do you do to, to um, do that work? Talk, talk a little bit about um, what helps you. What are those, what are those, um, I don't know, resiliency. What, what, is, what, how do you create your resiliency for that situation? Mm, mm. Yeah. Um, are you asking me personally or <laughs> both? You can tell like us my both. Professional advice? <laughs> Whichever you're comfortable with. <laughs> uh, sure. Sure. Well, um, for me, uh, I can say it was, uh, really life-saving for me, uh, to have safe people in my life growing up and, you know, the connections is really where it's at. Um, you know, so that's where it's really important, uh, to start that journey of self-discovery of self-awareness, um, um, finding people who can help you learn more about yourself. Uh, and honestly, it wasn't until my graduate program with my supervisor, my, it was my field supervisor um, who really like used those words, mm -hmm. journey of self-discovery and become curious about yourself. And uh, so that was in my 20s. I had to wait that long. And I mean, along the way, I had been in therapy, I had, a, you know, gone to see therapists. Um, and along the way, I felt that they had helped me to understand a little bit more. Um, and um, you know, so that that is really, you know, key. And I find with, uh, you know, the new generations and the, the kids these days, I do f just in general feel that they are that much more aware 
they are that much more in touch mm -hmm. with themselves, their feelings, um, and, you know, a sense of what's right and wrong. Uh, so I have, you know, tremendous hope for, you know, the younger generations. So you're a therapist and you work in this space in the adoption in the um, mental health space. And um, what are some of the, when you're working with children that have this experience, this trauma, what are some of the, the tips that you give to parents to help, help the child deal with the trauma that they experience? So the first thing that I say, um, <laughs> well, there are two first things I say. Um, uh, it's about safety. So I like going over talking about safety and I really make a point that it is something to have a dialogue about, um, because it's not just like physical safety and, you know, it's relationship safety, it's emotional safety, mental safety, you know, these different layers of this is how I can feel safe with you. Um, and really be intentional with my interaction, with my communication, with making sure that we're on the same page, that the message I'm wanting to, to give is in the way that I'm wanting to give it and in the way that you're receiving it. And mm -hmm. so, I mean, like there, there's all of that. Um, and I find that to be a really important uh, first conversation about being safe. Let's all get on the same page about being safe, what that means. Um, and that's also like an, another layer being safe, feeling safe within yourself, as well as within your environment, as well as the relationships you have with the people around you. Um, so many layers of like interconnectedness, right? Um, the other thing that I tell parents or talk to parents about is do that work on yourself, mm -hmm. go to therapy, um, really make sure that whatever you bring to the table as a parent, again, is safe, intentional, and, you know, for the benefit of everybody involved um, at home, you know, so, um, but I, I do get pretty direct, you know, with offering that kind of like advice and saying, hey, you're raising another human being who's developing with a developing brain um, and body and so on and so forth. So uh, it's really, I mean, when we were talking about generational trauma, it's really important mm -hmm. to do that kind of healing for yourself uh, before you embark mm -hmm. on the whole parenting journey yeah. uh, where, you know, for people who are parents, we know, the kids are going to find every one of your buttons. Yeah, exactly. And, and push them. <laughs> and you need to be an adult all the time. Well, you know, so there's these other layers of, you know, when we talk about uh, uh, co-regulation and self-regulation, um, emotional regulation, um, you know, I find this to be really like a key thing in terms of, um, again, another thing to talk to parents about. And it's that self-regulation and emotional regulation. Um, so, uh, you know, again, when you enter into that interaction with your child, it's done not impulsively. It's not done, you know, as much as you can, obviously. Right. You know, there are those moments for sure. We all have them, but, um, but to have that self-awareness, ah, uh, yeah, you know, this is, this is what's going on with me. This is what's been happening with me. This is why I, I acted that way. And so therefore this is how I can, I can rectify it or repair it or return to that moment and, mm -hmm. and walk it through together and make sure that you know, we land in it. Again, you know, we landed in a safe place. Um, when, when you, have you seen a change in, in going in a more positive direction? You know, I've been doing this work for about 10 years now. And I think that um, we are much more vulnerable as, as humans now. I think that we're, we're more in touch with our feelings. We, ex we're, we're more comfortable expressing 
what is pushing our buttons and talking through what's pushing our buttons. But I don't know, do you see that in your practice that that we're getting better at this relationship conversation? Um, I'm so for me, uh, I, I've, I've been in the field, uh, over 20 years at this point, I would say, yes, I have seen more vulnerability being shared. Um, uh, I, I, you know, but I also want to be, you know, uh, realistic or as realistic as I can be with my perspective, because, you know, my my whole world <laughs> these days is working with other mental health professionals, uh, the mental health spaces online. Uh, so it's like, oh, everybody is talking about uh, healing and uh, you know stopping the stigma and and you know getting the facts out there and, and offering tips and advice and you know ways to you know educate yourself. Um, but um but i did run you know i did run by um a statistic i i forget the source right now but maybe i can find it but um where it's really like seven to eight percent not 78 percent seven to eight percent of americans are actually practicing like yeah. self-care I, I believe that yeah and so it's like ah so really, the mental health professional community really needs to step it up oh, yeah. and, you know, have more conversations, mm-hmm. reach broader audiences, be really clear with the things that we're saying, the messages that we're giving about how important and like essential mm-hmm. self-care is, how important and, and um, uh, it is to you know, invite therapy and make it part of, you know, for me, it's making it a part of your uh, daily mental health, Mm -hmm. healthy lifestyle routine. Um, So it's not, oh, I go see a therapist once a week and then I go back to the rest of my life. And, you know, uh, it is this Mm -hmm. ongoing practice not necessarily like treatments or intervention. It is a right. lifestyle choice. Yep. We talk about it all the time. And we uh, we work a lot with, um, you know, right now it's interesting with the pandemic. We're probably working more with teachers than we are with students right now, just because of the the current environment that that's most schools are in. And um, the the teachers are really struggling now. Um, they're, they're very, very overwhelmed with the situation. And we talk to them about self-care all the time. And we find the same thing. We talk and we talk and talk about things they can do. And we continue to ask them, are you doing it? And they continue to say no. <laughs> um, kind of want to um, backtrack a little bit. Um, so we've kind of talked about the impact of adoption on mental health in general. Um, but I also wanted to talk about the impact of adoption on like suicidality um, and maybe if you have some statistics um, about either mm-hmm. health or suicidality, if you mm-hmm. would share some of those. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and in a way, yeah, uh, you know, thank you for opening up the conversation in that direction. Um, so let me start off with, uh, it's a newer study that came out, uh, maybe 2019, maybe 2018, by Amanda Baden, who is a, a, an adoption researcher and professor. Um, and um, sh- so she had came, came out with uh, a study uh answering the question of when should you tell children that they're adopted? Um, And that is hugely controversial in in, in the adoption community. Um, uh, There's many people who are, who find out 
years after, sometimes not until they're adult. Um, and, um, you know, that just continues this sense of secrecy around being adopted, uh, which is like an old practice um, mm. with like those backdoor baby adoptions, um, you know, that happened, uh, you know, mid-century, uh, you know, last century. So in any case, um, the conclusion of this study said, tell them as early as possible. And this is going back to what we were saying before with helping children get on their own life trajectory. Yeah. So, you know, don't lead them down a life of, you know, based on lies and falsehoods and made up stories, um, uh, which I, I can also get into a little bit. Um, being internationally adopted, you know, from orphanages, um, uh, and re- there was a documentary, One Child Nation, that, you know, had come out that really revealed um, these children were just given names and given birth dates and given backstories, you know, to, to then give to their adoptive parents to make them feel like, oh, my gosh, um, we better adopt them, you know. So uh, there's a lot of false uh, falsifying documents and records um, with children who are adopted. Uh, so better to get a grasp of that as early as possible to start that healing process, right? To then start basing um, our sense of selves in reality and truth, mm-hmm. right? Better to do that early on. Um, mm-hmm give us a fighting chance to then lead, you know, um, the most authentic life we can for ourselves. So starting with that, and then when you don't do that, and there's too many accounts of that, we go through this fog, as I had shared before, you know, and for transracially adopted kids, um, there's these other additional layers of mm-hmm. internalized racism um, and dealing with all the, the effects of that within the family, within the community, within their schools, with their classmates, teachers, so on and so forth. Um, uh, where then, you know, uh, adoptees share I don't even like myself. I don't want to be Asian. I don't want to be different. I want to fit in. So now there's this one study that I talk a lot about when it comes to suicide, you know, like getting back to your question specifically about suicide, um, where we actually don't have um, outcome data about like completed suicides, but what we do know from a study 2013 um, is that adoptees are four times more likely to attempt suicide than non-adoptees. And sure, there are these uh, risk factors for mental illness and addiction. Um, And, um, you know, putting it all together though, this is is where it's landing on this point. Um, 1,221%, right? right? Um, If we think about, uh, you know, not being seen and heard and having our experiences validated, if we're not able to see mental health professionals and receive treatment that's oriented to understanding and identifying adoption trauma, uh, we are set up right from the beginning. Don't tell them that they're adopted. Let's just, you know, have them go through life. Let's have them go through the normal development stages, right? Which follow 
primarily follow mm -hmm. physical age development. So when you were, uh, do you feel like in school right now, when people are getting, becoming therapists, that this is a topic that's covered? Is it something that is um, part of the academic process, this discussion? Um, I want to say I am happy to know some people who are professors who are teaching adoption in their coursework, uh, that there are I believe both undergrad and graduate uh, students who are wanting to learn, mm -hmm. who see this as an important thing. Um, uh, but yeah, I'd say the sad truth is it's one of those topics that doesn't get covered um, and surely not to any you know great depth or, or extent. Now, I wanna add a caveat to that because I know I do want to let them off the hook a little bit. Um, education is vital. It's really important. Um, so we got to put this into a certain context, right? And the context I'm, I'm, I'm going to put it into is the adoption industry, which, you know, is right. needing to be self-sustaining. Um, as a business model, as an industry, um, as a, um, a way to, uh, you know, generate, um, you know, profits and, uh, and money, right? So uh, there is that layer on top of everything what, that we're talking about. And there are these social narratives. Um, we touched on one about saving children. And so that's been commercialized. That's been, um, you know, part of marketing strategies for, you know, adoption agencies. So are any of the, is there a, a pushback with the agencies to um, start including therapists as part of their, part of their model that they have this conversation from the beginning? Is that help happening at all? I find a number of the adoption agencies caught up in the industry um, and, you know, looking to, uh, you know, sustain their operations and their ability to, you know, keep the adoptions happening. Um, um, <clears throat> what I can, uh, you know, what I can say is, um, there, there's been um, a trend of defunding uh, post-adoption services. Um, now, here's another side that uh, uh, I don't think you know gets much attention, but there's uh, many different sides to the the adoption experience. Yeah. Uh, it's what we say. It's, it's not a monolithic uh, experience, right? Um, so there are adopted people and adoptees saying, oh, no, you know, my adoption was wonderful. I love my adoptive parents. And sure enough, thankfully, there are good, healthy people out there uh, saying we want to start a family. And, you know, we see adoption as a way to do that. Um, and it's, it is wonderful to have good, healthy adoption experiences. Um, the thing is, when you look on the other side of the spectrum of adoption, really what we've been covering about adoption trauma, about adoption suicide, um, and the outcomes to being adopted when it's not um, being addressed or you know treated or acknowledged, right? That's where, oh, well, it's great to have wonderful adoption experiences, but it's really, it's not okay. It's really unacceptable to have adoptees um, dying by suicide and feeling alone, feeling homeless, um, uh, you know, familyless, even if they are, even if they have a family. 
And then, you know, we haven't even touched on the birth family um, dynamic um, and all those layers that come with uh, being separated and then the search and, you know, reunification process. Um, yeah. Uh, so um, the other thing that I'd like to say, uh, you know, just tacking, tacking onto your question there, um, I find, you know, I, I found uh, a number of uh, people working in the adoption profession to be adoptive parents hmm. um, who, you know, as a way to maybe, you know, learn about their children or gain insight or do something, you know, uh, either they start off as mental health professionals, social workers, um, therapists, or they go to school and be schooled as social workers or therapists. Um, um, so I do find, you know, a number of adoptive parents uh, running programs um, and, um, you know, developing trainings and workshops to speak to other adoptive parents. Um, and um, for me, uh, and I really, I, I don't like to talk so much in generalizations, uh, but it's going back to that generational trauma piece. And if you really haven't done that work on yourself, it doesn't matter how much training, it doesn't matter, you know, um, how many conversations you have amongst yourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a way it could be more harmful because then it's reinforcing uh, yeah, that's that's my experience, and that's my experience, and it, it continues pointing the finger more at the adoptees, their adopted children, than themselves. Great. So, would it be fair to say that if I've adopted my child, um, thinking about like what I need to do to create the safest environment in my home for my child? Um, in my mind, what I've heard you say is it's it's most important to make sure I'm doing the work for myself internally on my own family trauma um, and then talking to and communicating with my child about how they came to be in my life. Um, so not like hiding it. Um, and then also creating space for open communication about what they're feeling. Um, so you can kind of stop that narrative that might be playing that isn't true, but, uh, but, but feels true to them. Um, would that be a safe way to approach the situation if you're an adopt- adoptive parent? It certainly is a great place to start. And as you're talking through this, I'm trying to think like, if I'm a parent and I have adopted a child, where should I start? Um, so are are there any other things that you would add to that that could be like next steps? Sure, sure. So, well, I want to, you know, just pause and acknowledge this even having that line of thinking about what is the experience going to be like for my child? How do I create that safe environment? How can I be safe for them? Um, just mm-hmm. even putting, putting it in that context. And if that's what you're getting from this conversation, that's, that's wonderful. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, I mean, like that's, that, that would be, a takeaway from this conversation is, oh, I need to be trauma-informed. I need to be trauma-oriented. I need to be talking about safety in relationships, safety at home, safety in the environment. Um, and then what the second part of what, you, what you've done mm-hmm. is to have the curiosity, what more can I do? So what else? We can, we can be concrete about this and say, read some books. And so books like The Body Keeps a Score, Life Unlocked, um, and even books by Peter Levine um, on healing uh, and trauma, it's very body-based. It's neurological-based, it's body-based, puts it in that context. Uh, So... I find, you know, that being a real, a real key part to understanding what's happening. This is not just a behavior issue. 
This is not just mm-hmm. a psychological issue. This is a body-based issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it takes a number of different kinds of interventions or approaches. Um, and uh, you can have, you know, uh, a nice well-rounded um, uh, approach to healing. Let's see. Um, the other th- so the other thing um, uh, with parents is about their children's schools. You know, so I'm excited about um, um, Nadine Harris. Nadine Harris, California's Surgeon General, who talked up the ACEs study, who talked up about uh, trauma-informed education and getting it in the hands of teachers teaching our children, right? So this kind of way, for me, it's like this kind of wave of helping schools and education systems to become trauma-informed. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it has to come from a systemic approach, an institutional approach. So when it comes to, ad, you know, really like advocating for your child in their schools or choosing a school that meets the needs of your child, um, it it's you know, important to look at who are the administrators? What are their values? What are they coming to the table with? What are their um, curricula uh, and education models? Um, Are, you know, are they using, um, say, more traditional classroom methods? Or are they really integrating that trauma-informed um, you know, approach. We do, a, we do a lot of work around trauma-informed care. We, uh, there's a doctor at Cincinnati Children's who specializes in that area, and they have a whole division that does a lot of training in schools in that area. So and we'll also, we're um, very, very familiar with it. Yeah. We actually did a podcast with him a while back, and we'll, we'll link to that podcast in our show notes. Well, as all of these different resources that Moses has been talking about. So don't worry about everybody. Don't worry about writing. Well, I mean, it's really, it's innovating teaching methods. You know, it's coming up with new ways of, uh, you know, helping kids learn about themselves, you know, learn about the world. Um, So, Really, yeah, really appreciate you bringing up, you know, that match, that matching process of, you know, the school culture. Um, and when you said that, I did want to, hi- you know, highlight just a couple of things. And I appreciate you saying, you know, kids from all over. So, you know, again, for me, being transracially adopted, mm-hmm. having that diversity, you know, uh, is important, you know, having mirrors. Um, to reflect, you know, who you are, to have that sense of safety, sense of belonging, uh, sense yep. of, oh, yes, there are people who are going through it in the way that I am as well. We can, you know, join together. Um, and this includes, you know, kids who are in a number of other uh, populations. Right. Um, you know, so mm-hmm. uh, the LGBTQ uh, community as well. Because again, and I think this is a kind of nice full circle to the beginning where we have to create these environments in which our children can live and thrive and flourish. And that's really, um, that's really the root of what we hope to do and the root that you hope that most parents would come to and be able to put their own predetermined ideas or whatever it is to the side um, so that their kid can really thrive and, and not just survive, but truly thrive. Um, and, and what does that look like? And um, just put any of those pre-existing ideas um, to the side and just have that really honest, open conversation from looking at uh, professionals, whatever it might mean with 
therapy or um, people with those lived experiences um, looking at, you know, educating yourself through books and podcasts and all this. But I do think that's really important for all parents and then especially parents who find themselves in very special circumstances. Um, We don't have to have these bad, horrible statistics with, you know, with adoptees having four times the suicide rate. Like, we need to make progress toward that not being a number. Um, And that's, that's what we can do, right? There are, as we've learned, new ways to approach this and we can make sure Uh, Our children can thrive and don't feel any sense of shame or burden or whatever it might be. Um, And when you were talking earlier about that secrecy, right? Um, Secrecy invites shame. And so just being open and honest eliminates that. And so I really hope that as we move forward, people can learn so much from this and, and from you and your experiences and make sure they can get the help they need if they have experienced this. Um... And they know they're not alone or we can help create a better environment for kids who are needing to approach and talk to and um, and have good conversations with their family members. Mm-hmm. Can, I, can, I, can, can I add like maybe one or two more things? <laughs> I just I, I want to, you know, just really maximize this opportunity. Um, it's really been, you know, fantastic uh having this conversation so um it's important to listen to adoptees it's important to invite us into these spaces um now having said adoption is not monolithic so it is important for all of Mm -hmm. us to have a chance to share our side of our adoption experience. Um, And where I'm at, having come out of the fog or maybe on the tail end of the fog, um, I'm appreciating being able to, you know, build awareness, help educate, advocate for, um, and getting to that side of it, um, having come out of the fog so I can go back in and talk about what it was like and walk through that journey. So really, really important talking to adoptees, you know, at all stages of the fog, but understand that there's this fog. Um, And there, so there is, um, there is a directory. I always like to put this out there because it's like the only directory, you know, um, of, adoptees who are working as therapists. Um, and it's uh, uh, at growbeyondwords.com, which I'm sure will be in the, in the show notes. I think it's it's so important to, I like what you were saying about how it is important to listen to adoptees, but not just one adoptee. You don't want to tokenize mm-hmm. or make it seem like, one person's story or journey is going to be representative of everyone's story or journey, because that's, that's not the case for anyone, you know, experiencing anything. So we, we do want to go ahead and put that out there that Moses's story is his story. Um, it's not everyone's story. Thankfully. <laughs> um, I'm going to say thankfully. Yes. <laughs> I've got, I, and, and, and let me, I, I know this is going to make it a little bit somber at this point, but um, we are, we are actually recording on my sister's birthday. So, you know, today's her birthday. Um, yeah. Your reactions are going to make me cry. So, uh, um, yes, today's February 15th. Um, and it's my sister Lark's birthday. Um, and, uh, she has passed away in my family. Um, I have three siblings, Lark, Tam, and Thaddeus, who have passed away. Um, Tam and Thaddeus, you know, made a point to die by suicide. Um, for my sister Lark, um, uh, she was hospitalized 
and she had chosen not to be resuscitated. Um, and all of them are adopted, and all of them are Asian transracial adopt adoptees. So, you know, in a more serious way, I really do hope there's not another family out there with three dead adopted children in one family. Um, it, that side of my story has been tremendously painful. Grief is so complicated. Um, and then just adding in wishing that it wasn't the way it was, you know, all of the wishes and things we wanted to change, um, working through that is also extra work, right? And um, when you talk about layers, you're, you're, you're nailing it right there. So, um, yeah. So I, I literally can't imagine having to work through losing three siblings. So I am so, so, so sorry. Um, but, but right. We are so excited that we can hopefully change this conversation mm -hmm. uh, for future families, for future generations, yeah. for future adoptees to make sure that their brains and their hearts and their minds are safe and feel connected to somebody so that they, like we said, can truly thrive. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I feel like it's no coincidence that we randomly happen to have this day available. No. <laughs> no, there are no coincidence. <laughs> All the stars align and yep, we are where we're supposed to be. Well, I want to thank you for being with us today. I know we've taken a lot of your time today and we appreciate that. Um, and we really appreciate you telling your story and the work that you're doing is so important. And it's you, you've been so authentic and open um, and that's what it takes to, to change the conversation. So thank you. Oh, well, thank you uh, for having me, um, for having this conversation, for taking your time. Um, and let's keep the conversation going. Keep doing what you're doing. Uh, it's really wonderful work. It's necessary, um, unfortunately. But, um, hey, uh, if what we do today makes a better tomorrow for our kids, it's worth it. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about this episode, you can check out our show notes and access additional information on our website at 1n5.org. We ask that you please subscribe, rate, write a review, or share this podcast with anyone you think may be interested in hearing more about how we are changing the mental health landscape. Again, I'm Nancy. And I'm Kayla. And we hope you'll join us next time. You've been